0: Welcome to the Ramayan Podcast, a weekly podcast featuring an episodic reading in English of St. Tulsidas's version of the epic Ramayan. As we begin this week's episode, all the wedding guests have gone home, and we begin reading in the Balkhand with verse 327. Then all the four princes with their brides approached their father. It appeared at that time as if the lodgings of the bridegroom's party overflowed with beauty felicity and joy. Then there was a banquet with a rich variety of dishes to which Janak invited all the members of the bridegroom's party. Carpets of incomparable beauty were spread on the way as King Dasharat sallied forth with his sons. The feet of all were reverently washed, and then they were seated on wooden seats according to their rank. Janak laved the feet of Dasharat, king of Ayodhya. His courtesy and affection were past telling. He then bathed Shri Ram's lotus feet that are enshrined in the lotus-like heart of Shiva. Similarly, he washed with his own hands the feet of the other three brothers also, treating them on a par with Shri Ram. King Janak assigned an appropriate seat to each guest and sent for all the cooks for service. Leaves joined together so as to serve as plates were set before the guests with due reverence, leaves which were made of precious stones, and had been joined with gold pins. Clever and polite cooks passed round, and in a trice they served all with curry and boiled rice mixed with clarified butter extracted from cow's milk, all of which were pleasing and delicious, and had been cooked with purity. Taking the five initial morsels as an oblation for the five vital airs, the guests commenced dining, and were enraptured to hear songs full of raillery, Confections of various kinds, sweets as ambrosia, and more delicious than one could describe were served to them. Expert cooks then began to serve a variety of seasoned articles, which were too numerous to be named. Of the four categories of food mentioned in the scriptures, one, that which can be directly swallowed, two, that which must be masticated before it can be gulped, three, that which can be licked with the tongue, and four, that which can be sucked, Each comprised an indescribable variety of dishes. Similarly, there were seasoned dishes of various kinds, having six different flavors, each flavor being exhibited in numberless varieties. As the dinner was in progress, women railed in melodious strains at men and women both, mentioning each by name. Even raillery at an opportune time is agreeable and welcome. King Dasharat and his whole party felt amused to hear it. In this way, the whole party dined, and in the end, they were all reverently supplied with water to rinse their mouth with. Offering betel leaves in due form, Janak paid his homage to King Dasharat and his company, and the crown of all monarchs, Dasharat, retired to his own apartments with a cheerful heart. Every day there was a new festival in the city, days and nights passed like a moment. The jewel of King Dasharat woke up at a very early hour, and mendicants began to sing his praises. As he gazed upon the princes with their beautiful brides, the rapture of his soul was beyond all telling. Having finished his morning routine, he called on his guru with a heart full of exultation and love. Making obeisance to him and paying him his homage, the king with joined palms addressed him in a voice steeped as it were in nectar. Listen, O chief of sages, By your grace I have realized all my ambitions today. Now summoning all the Brahmins, holy sir, present them with cows adorned in every way." On hearing these words, the guru applauded the king and then sent for the troop of sages. Then came Vamadev, the celestial sage Narad, Valmiki, Jabali, Vishwamitra, and hosts of other great sages given to austerities. The king threw himself upon the ground before them all, and, worshipping them with love, offered them seats of honour. Next he sent for four locks of cows, all as gentle and beautiful as the cow of plenty, and adorning them all in every possible way, he gladly bestowed them upon the Brahmins. The king supplicated them in many ways, and said, It is only today that I have attained the fruit of my existence. The delight of the solar race, was glad to receive their blessings, and then sent for beggars, and bestowed on them, according to their liking, gold, wearing apparel, jewels, horses, elephants, and chariots. Singing the king's praises and saying, Glory, glory, all glory, to the lord of the solar race, they all went away. In this way the rejoicing in connection with Sri Ram's wedding was more than the thousand-mouthed serpent king could tell. Again and again the king bowed his head at the feet of Kaushika and said, All this joy, O chief of sages, is a gift of your gracious looks. King Dasharat extolled in every way Janak's affection, amiability, affluence, and doings. Every morning the king of Ayodhya asked leave to return home, but each time Janak would lovingly detain him. The royal guest received greater and enhanced attentions from day to day, and was entertained in a thousand ways each day. The city witnessed a new rejoicing and festivity every day. No one wanted Dasharat's departure. In this way a number of days passed, as though members of the bridegroom's party were tied by cords of love. The sages Kaushik and Shatananda then called on King Videha and advised him, saying, Now you must let Dasharatha go, even though you may not be able to part with him out of love. Very well, my lord, replied the king, and sent for his ministers who came and bowed their heads, saying, May you be victorious, may you live long. The king of Ayodhya longs to depart. Make this known in the Gynesium. At these words, the ministers, Brahmins, courtiers, as well as the king himself, were overwhelmed with emotion. When the people of the city heard that the bridegroom's party was leaving, they anxiously asked one another if it were a fact. When they learned that the departure of the guests was certain, they were all sad in the same way as lotuses get shriveled up in the evening. Provisions of various kinds were sent to all those places where the bridegroom's party had halted when coming from Ayodhya. Dried fruits and confections of all kinds, and other articles of food too numerous to be mentioned, were sent by Janak on the back of oxen and through numberless porters along with a number of beautiful bedsteads. He also sent a million horses and twenty-five thousand chariots all decorated from top to bottom, ten thousand adorned elephants in rut that put to shame the elephants guarding the eight quarters, besides cartloads of gold, wearing apparel and jewels, and even so she buffaloes, cows, and many other articles of various kinds. In this way King Videha gave once more a dowry which was immeasurable and beyond all telling, and before which the wealth possessed by the lords of the different worlds looked small. Having got all the equipage arranged in the order mentioned above, Janak had everything dispatched to Ayodhya. When the queens heard that the bridegroom's party was about to start, they all felt miserable, even as fish when faced with a shortage of water. Again and again they took Sita in their lap and blessed and exhorted her in the following words, May you be ever beloved of your Lord, and may you live long with Him. This is our blessing. Serve the parents of your husband and other elders, and do the bidding of your Lord according to His pleasure. In their excess of love, Sita's clever companions, too, taught her the duties of a housewife in soft accents. The queens politely admonished all the other princesses, too, and clasped them to their bosom again and again, and as the mothers embraced their daughters time and again, they exclaimed, Why did Brahma ever create woman? That very moment did Rama, the chief of the solar race, gladly proceed along with his brothers to Janak's palace to take leave. The people of the city, both men and women, ran to see the four brothers, who were naturally lovely. Said one, They intend leaving to-day. King Videha has made all arrangements for their farewell. So let your eyes drink in their beauty. The four princes have been our most welcome guests. Who knows, friend, what virtuous deed we have performed in return for which providence has unexpectedly brought them before our eyes. Even as a dying man should stumble on nectar, or he who has been starving all his life should be able to discover a wish-yielding tree, or as one of the damned in hell should attain to the abode of Sri Hari, even so have we been blessed with their sight. Gaze on Sri Rama's beauty and treasure it in your heart. Let your mind fondly cherish his image, even as a serpent loves the gem in its hood." Thus delighting the eyes of all, the four princes went to the royal palace. The ladies of the gymnasium were transported with joy to behold the four brothers who were oceans of beauty, as it were, and the mothers-in-law, in their ecstatic moods, scattered gift and waved lights about the bridegrooms. Greatly moved at the sight of Sri Ram's beauty, they affectionately fell at his feet again and again, their hearts being wrapped in love. The feeling of shyness had bid them adieu. How could their natural affection for their sons-in-law be described? After rubbing the body of Sri Ram and his brothers with cosmetics, they were given a bath And were most lovingly entertained with dishes containing the six flavors. Finding it a suitable opportunity, Sri Ram spoke in accents full of amiability, affection, and modesty. Our royal father intends leaving for Ayodhya, and has sent us here to take leave of you. Therefore, mothers, grant us permission with a cheerful mind, and ever regard us with affection as your own children. The ladies of the Gynesium were distressed to hear these words, the mothers-in-law were too overwhelmed with emotion to speak a word. They clasped all the princesses to their bosom, and while giving them to their lords, made humble submission to them. With humble submission, Queen Sunayana committed Sita Turam, and with joined palms prayed again and again, I offer myself as sacrifice to you, my all-wise darling. You know what passes in the mind of all. May you know that Sita is as dear as life itself to the whole family, nay, to the entire population of the city, much more to me and to her royal father. Therefore, considering her meekness and affection, O Lord of Tulsi, treat her as your maidservant. You have your desires ever fulfilled. You are the crest jewel of the wise, and it is love alone that attracts you. You perceive only the good points of your devotees. You eradicate their weakness and are an abode of mercy, Ram. So saying, the queen remained clinging to his feet. It seemed as if her speech had been lost in the quicksand of love. On hearing her fine speech, which was full of affection, Sri Ram honored his mother-in-law in ways more than one. While seeking her permission with joined palms, he made obeisance to her again and again. Having received her blessings, the lord of Raghus bowed his head once more, and then departed with his brothers. Treasuring up in their hearts Sri Ram's lovely and beautiful image, all the queens were overcome with emotion. Then, recovering themselves, they called their daughters and embraced them again and again. They escorted them to some distance, and then embraced them once more. The love on both sides swelled to a considerable extent. While meeting their daughters again and again, they were parted by the companions of the princesses, even as a cow who has just brought forth a calf may be parted from the latter. All men and women, including the companions of the princesses and the ladies of the Gynesium, were overpowered by emotion. It seemed as if pathos and the parting of lovers had taken up their abode in the capital of the Videjas. The parrots and mainas who had been reared by Princess Janaki and having been kept in cages of gold had been taught to speak, And they cried in distress, Where is Videha's daughter? On hearing their wail, who would have the patience to stand the sight? When birds and beasts were distressed in this way, how can one depict the feelings of the human breast? Then came King Janak with his younger brother, Kushadvaja. Due to excess of emotion, tears rushed to his eyes. Although he was reputed to be a man of supreme dispassion, his strength of mind took leave of him the moment he gazed on Sita. The king clasped Janaki to his bosom, and the great embankment of wisdom toppled down. All his wise counselors admonished him, and, realizing that it was no occasion for wailing, the king recovered himself. Again and again he pressed his daughter to his bosom and ordered beautiful and well-equipped palanquins to be brought. The whole family was overwhelmed with emotion, yet, perceiving that the auspicious moment had arrived, the king invoked lord ganesh and his consort siddhi and helped the princesses to ascend the palanquins king janak admonished his daughters in ways more than one and instructed them in the duties of a woman as well as in family customs he bestowed upon sita a good many men-servants and maid-servants who had been her trusted and favourite attendants as she proceeded on her journey the citizens felt miserable while good omens which were all fountains of blessings appeared Accompanied by a crowd of Brahmins and his counselors, the king himself followed his daughters to escort them. When it was found that the time of departure had come, music began to play, and the members of the bridegroom's party made ready their chariots, elephants, and horses. King Dasharat summoned all the Brahmins and sated them with gifts and courtesy. The king placed the dust of their lotus feet on his head and was glad to receive their benediction invoking the elephant-headed Ganesh, he set out on his journey, when many good omens which were the roots of felicity occurred. The gods gladly rained down flowers, and heavenly nymphs sang as the lord of Iota joyfully set forth for his capital amidst the clash of kettle-drums. King Dasharat politely persuaded the respectable citizens to retire, and having reverently called all the mendicants, he bestowed on them ornaments and clothes, as well as horses and elephants, and satiating them with love, he made them all self-supporting. Glorifying the king again and again, they all returned with Sri Ram in their heart. The Lord of Ayodhya importuned King Janak over and over again, but out of affection for his relative, the latter would not turn back. Once more King Dasharat addressed him in polite terms. I beg you to turn back, O king, you have already advanced too far." At last King Dasharat got down from his chariot and remained standing, while his eyes overflowed with torrents of love. Then spoke King Videha with joined palms and in accents imbued with the nectar of love, How and in what words should I make my supplication to you? You have conferred such high honor on me, O great king. The king of kosala showed every respect to the father of the bride and his relative janak the embrace in which they held each other was characterized by utmost humility and their hearts could not contain the love that they felt king janak bowed his head to the throng of sages and received blessings from them all next he reverently embraced his sons-in-law the four brothers each a mine of beauty amiability and goodness and joining his graceful lotus hands He spoke in accents begotten of love, as it were. How can I extol you, O Ram, sporting as you do in the hearts of sages as well as of the great Lord Shiva, like a swan in the Manasarovara lake? That for whose sake yogis practice yoga, renouncing anger, infatuation, the feeling of mayum and pride, the all-pervading Brahma, who is imperceptible and imperishable, the embodiment of consciousness and bliss. At once the sum and negation of all attributes, who is beyond the ken of speech and mind, who is past all speculation but is only inferred by all, and who is the same at all times, that root of all joy has appeared before my eyes. Everything is easy of access in this world to a living being when God is propitious. You have exalted me in every way and accepted me as your own servant if there were ten thousand charitas and sheshas, and if they were to count for millions of kalpas, the tale of my good fortune, I tell you, and the record of your virtues could not be exhausted, O Lord of Raguz. I make bold to say something on the strength of my conviction that you are pleased with the slightest devotion. I repeatedly beseech you with joined palms that my mind may never be deluded into deserting your feet." On hearing these polite words, saturated with love, Sri Ram, who had all his desires fulfilled, felt gratified. With the greatest courtesy, the latter honored his father-in-law, treating him on a par with his own father, or Kaushika, or Vashista. The king then humbly approached Bharat, and embracing him with affection, gave him his blessings. Next, the king embraced and blessed Lakshman and Shatrugan, Overpowered by emotion, they bowed their heads to one another again and again. Paying his respectful compliments to Janak again and again, the lord of Raghu set out on his journey with his three brothers. Janak approached Kaushika, clasped his feet, and put the dust of the same on his head and eyes. He said, Listen, O lord of sages, to him who has been blessed with your sight nothing is unattainable. Such is my heart's conviction the joy and the bright renown which the regional lords of the universe long to have but feel too diffident to expect, such a joy and glory has been brought within my reach, and all achievements follow on seeing you." In these words King Janak made humble submission to Vishwamitra, bowing his head again and again and returning after receiving his blessings. The bridegroom's party started on its return journey to the sound of kettledrums, all the sections, big and small, were transported with joy. Men and women of the villages, as they gazed on Sri Ram, felt gratified on realizing the object of their eyes. Halting at convenient stages in course of the journey and gladdening the people on the roadside, the marriage procession approached Ayodhya on a sacred day. Kettle drums were beaten and good tabers sounded. Accompanied by the blast of sackbuts and conches, and the neighing of horses and trumpeting of elephants. Similarly, there was a clash of cymbals and drums, while clarionets played sweet tunes. The citizens were all delighted to hear the procession coming. The hairs on their bodies stood erect. They all decorated their own beautiful houses, as well as the markets, streets, squares, and gates of the city. All the lanes were watered with perfumes. Here and there, festal squares were filled in with elegant devices. The bazaar was beautiful beyond all description, with festal arches, flags, banners, canopies. Trees of the areca nut, the plantain, the mango, the bacula, the kadamba, and the tamala were transplanted along with their fruit. The beautiful trees thus planted touched the ground on account of their being laden with fruits. They had basins of precious stones constructed around them with exquisite skill festal vases of various kinds were ranged in order in every house. Brahma and the other gods were filled with envy to see the birthplace of Sri Ram. The king's palace looked very charming on that occasion. Its decoration captivated the heart of Cupid himself. It looked as if auspicious omens and loveliness, affluence and mystic powers, joys and smiling prosperity and all kinds of rejoicing had assumed a naturally beautiful form, and taken their abode in the palace of King Dasharat. Tell me who would not feel tempted to have a look at Sri Ram and Videha's daughter, married women whose husbands were alive, sallied forth in troops, each eclipsing love's consort Rati by her beauty. They all carried articles of good omen and were equipped with lights for waving round the bridegrooms. As they moved along, singing all the way, it appeared as if goddess Bharati, the goddess of speech, had appeared in so many forms. The king's palace was full of hilarious tumult. The joy of the occasion was ineffable. Kosalya and the other mothers of Sri Ram were so overwhelmed with emotion they forgot their own bodies. After worshipping Lord Ganesh and the slayer of the demon Tripura, they bestowed enormous gifts upon the Brahmins and were supremely delighted as an utterly indigent man who had attained the four great prizes of life. All the mothers were so overcome with joy and rapture that their feet refused to walk and all their limbs began to droop, as it were. Full of intense longing for a sight of Sriram, they began to get everything ready for the reception of their sons. Music of every kind started playing, while Sumitra gladly got together articles of good omen, such as turmeric, blades of durva grass, curds, ordinary leaves, flowers, beetle leaves, areca nuts, auspicious roots, unbroken rice, sprouts of barley, parched paddy, and lovely blossoms of the basil plant. Exceedingly charming gold vases painted with various colors looked like nests built by Cupid's own birds. Auspicious perfumes defied all description. In this way all the queens prepared all sorts of auspicious articles. They got ready rows of lights arranged in various devices for waving round their sons, and with a cheerful heart sang melodious festal strains carrying in their lotus hands salvers of gold laden with articles of good omen the queen mothers proceeded joyfully to greet their sons every limb of their bodies throbbing with emotion the sky became dark with the fumes of burning incense as though overhung with the fast-gathering clouds of the month of shraban august the gods rained down wreaths of flowers from the trees of paradise which looked like rows of herons in their graceful flight Lovely festoons made of jewels looked like rainbows appearing in a row. Charming ladies, appearing on housetops as quickly as they went out of sight, looked like the fitful flashes of lightning. The beat of drums resembled the crash of thunder, while beggars were as clamorous as the chataka birds, frogs, and peacocks. The gods poured down showers in the form of sacred perfumes, which gladdened the crop in the form of all the citizens. Perceiving that a propitious hour had arrived, the Guru Vashishta gave the word and the jewel of Raghu's race, King Dasharat, gladly entered the city with all of his followers, fixing his mind on Bhagavan Shambo, Goddess Parvati, and their son, Lord Ganesh. And with the re-entry into Ayodhya, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Ramayan Podcast. Please join us next time. Siddharam